Hello and welcome to this week's Why Football podcast with me, Michael Dryden and Eches Adokru. This week, Eches will be talking all about England's DNA initiative, whether it's been successful, and we'll discuss whether England can win next summer's Euros. Before we start, please follow us on Twitter at YFootball underscore for our latest content. Please also follow and subscribe with us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and YouTube for immediate access to future episodes. Eches, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks, Dryden. Uh, can't really complain. It's a bit colder outside now. But apart from that, all is good. How are you doing? Yeah, likewise. I'm excited for the Christmas period, but brace myself for the Christmas tunes. Um, Sunland have also um, are currently been taken over by 22-year-old Kirill Louis Dreyfus. So they're in the process of being taken over. Hopefully by the time the next episode that will have went through, but it's a bit mad to have a twenty-two year old owner. He's part of a consortium, but he's heir to the um the Dreyfus fortune, which is worth around two billion. Oh, the Dreyfus fortune, yeah, the fortune that everyone mm. knows about. <laughs> <laughs> well they their, fa- their family have been major shareholders in Marseille. Thank so you. That's a lot clearer. It might be well known, but might not. <laughs> How are you dropping that line as if everyone's just going to know? Oh, uh, yeah, the Dreyfuses. Yes, know them people very are a well. Lot more, people are a lot more informed than you, actually, seemingly. So. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> also, uh, Kyrill Lewis Dreyfus sounds like one of those auto-jones who go on Football Manager. It does, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it very much does, yeah. It sounds like a Harry Potter character as well. So, Etches, moving on to today's topic, why have you chosen this particular topic? Well, I watched England the other night against Belgium. And I thought England did quite well, actually. Belgium scored a free kick where Tyrone Mings should have jumped and a slightly mm. deflected goal from, I think, Tillman's, which was unfortunate. Yeah, we were in a greatish break the internet. So, um, yeah, you know, I think England, despite the loss, I thought England played quite well. The midfield is quite uninspiring at times, but it's good to see players like Greenish get a run in. But when I saw Jaden Sancho come off the bench and, and Phil Foden's involved as well, it, it brought back memories. I remember in around 2017, where England won the Under-17 World Cup in India. And it was this big, big thing because England had started this new initiative called England's DNA, which I'll go into shortly. So then the Director of Elite Development, Dan Ashworth, who I believe is now at Brighton in a similar role, was being applauded for helping laying down the foundations to help that new crop thrive. So we're seeing Phil Foden and Jaden Sancho. There are others as well. Rian Brewster, who's now at Sheffield United. Uh, Emil Smith-Rowe, who's at Arsenal, who's a very talented player. Um, Angel Gomez, who has just left United. I think he's gone to Lille, but is on loan in Portugal somewhere. Yep. So I kind of you know, thought about that DNA template again, which was, which was mentioned. And I, I kind of wanted to know or do a pod on what it actually is. You know, why was it brought in? And whether it's been successful, because, you know, it, I think it's brought in back in 2014. That was six years ago, seems to be seven years ago. So I kind of wanted to see, you know, whether it's been a success or a flop. Yeah, I thought England played pretty well against Belgium. It's, it's difficult to assess because they took the lead relatively early, a tunnel lead quite early. Obviously, they need to win that game to almost ensure they were going to top the group. So they obviously wanted to sit back uh, for the remainder of the game to a large degree and hit us on the counter because they've got Pearson and the likes of Mertens and Thorpe and Hazard. Um, but you're right in terms of centrally, I don't think we're as strong in the field and perhaps it's centre-back compared to other areas of the pitch, like wing-back out wide, particularly from our youth prospects. Um, but we have seen in terms of youth, youth, youth prospects um, more featuring in top six sides and in the Premier League generally, as opposed to maybe uh, years gone by. 
So, you know, people like Ford and are getting game time at City, Greenwood at United, for example. Um, whereas before that wasn't quite happening or the, the, the youth prospects were playing at lesser clubs. So, Etches, what exactly is England DNA? So England's then under-21 coach back in 2014, the director of elite development, which was then Dan Ashworth and head of player and coach development, Matt Crocker, presented the England DNA vision at the National Football Centre. So this initiative was launched in front of media and uh, journalists before it was launched to around 1,500 coaches Mm. who were attending a three-day FA licensed event. The aim was to get England's youth teams from under-15s to under-21s following this this DNA blueprint to uh, basically take these players and make them into elite players. Now, the the framework of it consisted of five elements. Uh, One is basically looking at who England are and understanding the heritage of the three Lions, past and present. It focuses heavily on understanding England's former greats and what it means Mm. to be an English national. Uh, It also aims to develop a specific code of conduct on and off the field in line with England's culture. I find that section kind of interesting because... um, you know, obviously they're not going to give you the ins and outs of the whole DNA plan because that defeats the point. But <laughs> it's just interesting how it's on about who England are and understanding the heritage. I kind of feel like if you play for your country, that should be, you know, the forefront of what it is. But I guess in their study of it, maybe that wasn't really consistent with all the players they're bringing through. Yeah, and what that actually means. And I mean, what is actually meant by a former great as well? Are we referring to the 66 team? And if we are, then obviously that's quite a long time ago. True. Um, or are we referring to, say, that the 90s teams, like Gascoigne, where we had that golden generation? Yeah. The second section is the how we play section, which focuses on playing style and philosophy aimed at building possession dominant, but also looking at teams without the ball and the transition between them. It also wants his teams to adapt and be flexible. Mm. That was one of the targets it had. It stated that England teams should aim to intelligently dominate possession, selecting the right moments to progress play and penetrate the opposition. Uh, the England team should aim to regain possession intelligently and as early and efficiently as possible. All aspects of out of possession philosophy will take into consideration the state of the game, the environment and the predetermined game plan. Mm-hmm. So when I read that, I just read modern football. Do you know, <laughs> it's like, it's like, do you know again, it, there's going to be intricacies and specifics in the plan that you don't necessarily know. And you could also argue that England are a bit behind their peers in the European scene and international scene with certain formations and styles. However, when I read that, I essentially read all of the buzzwords that you need in modern football. So being able to adapt and be flexible, uh, how to progress the ball, possession dominant, you know, you you don't really get too many top modern teams opting to not have the ball. Um, Pretty much none. Uh, So it it is quite an interesting section, but that was the second one. The third one is the future England player section, which talks about developing players with outstanding technical and tactical abilities, as well as physical attributes and psychological and social characteristics. Well, I think that's that's probably the key. Um, a classic quote from yourself, Ed Chairs, is that football moves in cycles in terms of you know philosophies, dominant philosophies in the game. And so like the possession uh, point you made, for example, that at one stage was uh, kind of the, the key philosophy when Guardiola popularised that. Um, at Barcelona and we seem to have moved on to that to kind of a high pressing philosophy which some like Guardiola still wants to keep the ball though um, but you know 
philosophies move around. So there's no point being reactive to saying, well, oh, so Spain won the World Cup with this philosophy. So let's, you know, let's mimic that in our youth. Yeah, no, I think I think you hit a good point. You know, the inverted pyramids um, really changed the book, really changed my view on essentially a lot of things in football has already been done. And I think you're right. We're, we're now at a stage where even though possession is very important, we've moved to this hybrid of extremely hard pressing by the, some of the top sides, as well as having possession based. Whereas I think before the Spain era kind of led us to this, oh, as long as you have as much ball as you can, you'll dominate games, which kind of led to this dreary sort of suffocation of teams that struggled to get the ball against the better sides. Yeah, and it's led to this kind of high-pressing um, philosophy that's came in from a lot of uh, teams that are saying, well, if you want to keep the ball, then you've got to prove that you really can keep the ball because we're going to go at you and cause chaos. Um, I mean, it's, I think it was Trevor Brookie enough to the uh, 2010 World Cup, uh, the defeat of Germany with the uh, the Lampard, uh, <laughs> the goal that crossed the line that didn't wasn't given, um, spoke of overhauling the approach to developing youth and youth progression in the England system after that but again that's quite reactive isn't it that's <laughs> that's basically saying before this world cup or before this period you know and he was quite involved in the fa at that time um and so it's almost saying yeah before this world cup we actually thought we were going to everything was uh i think it was rosy and now suddenly because of this defeat at, at the international level it's almost like we've been going forward blindly and now we've kind of realized an epiphany that we need to overhaul the system um yeah. because germany had such a young fluid team yeah, no, they, they certainly did. Um, a lot of those players came from the 2009 Under-21 final, which we'll come on to later. The How We Coach section, which is the fourth one, looks at the way players are developed and coached. So there's a consistent approach to coaching across all the England teams and training sessions are well-planned. You'd hope all training sessions are well-planned. <laughs> <laughs> you, you would hope oh, that, geez. wouldn't you? That's, very, <laughs> that's, that's a bit vague, but yeah. You would, I mean, yeah, poorly, yeah, you know what? Poorly planned sessions are okay don't worry about it um this is the most interesting topic or sorry section i read because there were some specifics here from what they wanted to deliver to deliver so one was deliver realistic game related practices so uh, i know that Mourinho is a big believer in that yeah, he tried to yeah. replicate that in training quite often uh, i think it was called was it tactical periodization is what yeah he absolutely yeah it's, it's popularized in um popularized in portugal uh, yeah exactly so that's quite interesting. Then you put use games whenever possible in training, which is also good. Develop practices that enable the players to make lots of decisions, which is uh, a good one as well. <laughs> and uh, all sessions uh, will ensure 70% ball rolling time, which is uh, also a very good point. And I hope that all England coaches are following that. Um, and they were probably the, the most interesting points I kind of read from that. Because again, it seems to me, you do, you do often wonder, what was happening beforehand i guess it's a case of th maybe this was being done wide you know wide scale but not consistently enough whereas this plan is to ensure that this is the blueprint going forward yeah um the final section is how we support which is all about players performance being backed up by analysis sports medicine psychology and nutrition well you're right <laughs> when when you say uh, what makes you think what makes you think what came before um, but with the money in the Premier League, uh, the facilities, the coaching now exists at youth level across Premier League clubs, which is an exceptionally high standard. Um, and you compare that to the rest of Europe, where obviously there is wealthy clubs, but not to the same scale, perhaps there is in the Premier League and the same like level of wealth. You'd you'd think that um, English youth would be would be starting to come through, and it seems that like it might be. So, Eches, why did England DNA came into play? We touched. I touched on Trevor Brookin and overhauling England's setup, but what exactly was the um, intention? 
Well, I think when I was a little kid, um, I had the belief that England were always one of the most dominant sides in world football in terms of international success and European success. And it wasn't until I was slightly older, I realised that England have just collected the one World Cup and no Euro wins, no Euro final wins and no uh, no World Cup final appearances since that famous 66 win. Yeah. Um, I believe they've had two semi-final appearances since that time. Once in Italia 90 and obviously when it nearly came home in Russia. Their Euro record isn't much better. They finished third twice in Italy 68 and Euro 96, which was in England. But if you look a bit further in their Euro record in particular, they've crashed out the group stages on four occasions since their first appearance in 68, and they've not qualified on four other occasions. The most famous being with your best friend, Steve McLaren, was at the home. <laughs> I know what, you love why, Steve. Why is he my best friend? I don't know. You, I think on one of the pods, you call him the Wally with the Brolly. Yeah, <laughs> he is the Wally with the Brolly. Because yeah, when, he did, when they failed to qualify, he was, uh, I remember he was standing there really glowing with a with Brolly because it was, it was raining at Wembley. Yeah, and he's actually won the same number of league titles as Arsene Wenger. I don't know. This is a. I don't know. This is an actual genuine fact because he was assistant to Fergie. So I assume he's he's still a, he's still a Premier League winner, isn't he? He's assistant manager. Oh, he's a coach. Yeah, he is. Still a, so, so he's won the same number of titles as Wenger. Yeah, so. Okay. Well, <laughs> Jury's out on that Premier, one. Premier League, I, Premier League titles. We'll let that one slide. <laughs> uh, the point I'm trying to get at, though, with, with what I just said before, is that essentially for a big footballing nation, basically the country that brought football into the modern world and made it into a professional mm. game, have not been very successful at international level throughout history, really. Um, and, you know, there has been some success at youth level throughout the years, but ultimately hasn't translated to success at senior level. So you can begin to see what England's DNA was brought in. And then we had the golden generation that came through and, you know, most of those guys are retiring around the 2010, 2011 mark. But yeah. still, I think, you know, when you look beyond that, they failed and you could potentially argue that some of that could have been down to youth level maybe not playing enough together as a team there's a whole that's another pod within itself you know why the golden mm. generation didn't succeed but yeah I, I can definitely see what england's doing it was brought in and it was because of that lack of international success you know the success of nations like germany since the turn of the century and france's success in 1980,000 heavily influences influenced england's decision to look at plans to improve their performances you know how much I love Claire Fontaine and talking about that. Um, it's <laughs> definitely a pod for the future, but it was seen as the blueprint for international success. You know, people like Thierry Henry, Nicolas Anelka, Rafael Guerrero and Kylian Mbappe all came through the ranks there. And I think England kind of looked to that as, you know, one of the, the countries to really study. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. It's interesting you mentioned Germany as well. I think it's interesting to compare Germany of, of then, kind of at that 2010 stage and England of now. Because mm. uh, seemingly England have, have looked to promote coaches. They brought through uh, Gareth Southgate, obviously from the under 21s up to the, the senior side. And with that, he has made a point, very much made a point of bringing through or promoting youth from the very the bottom of the setup up to the, the, the international team. I mean, he's, I don't know the stat, but he's provided, even over this last three week period, over since lockdown, he's provided so much given so many first caps to players. I think it's a breath of fresh air moving on to Southgate a little bit. You know, he really has shone the light on players at not so glamorous clubs. Um, the mm. likes of James Tarkowski, who I know is not in the squad at the moment, Harry Maguire, when he just moved to Leicester. And Connor, then Cody. Connor Cody, you know, I think that's been really good for the squad and has driven up hunger amongst them in, in a young collective bunch. And mm. the players seem much happier as well. 
which which is obviously very good. Yeah, which is which is uh, yeah, yeah. I think it helps. You know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it helps a little bit. But um, yeah, back in 2013, the England DNA plan started with the FA's group of national coaches looking at what characteristics were needed for players to progress from the under 15 side to the senior side. They looked at how they wanted England to play, how the players should be coached, and what could be done to support that process. From there, the views of clubs were brought in and the Football League, as well as a former or then England manager, Roy Hodgson, and his women's counterpart, Mark Sampson. Um, methods were methods of top seven countries in the world were scrutinised, so some of the elite countries that have fantastic mm. youth setups with attention paid to any correlations between the best performing ones of those seven. It wasn't mentioned which countries were analysed, but then director Dan Ashworth claimed it was seven European sides and he actually added in three Southern American teams. He also went on to state that both Belgium and Germany had a clear, precise plan to help deliver success internationally. <laughs> so, so he won't tell us who they are, but there's uh, <laughs> there's three from South America and one of them's Germany and one of them's Belgium. I'm sure we can work it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's also quite funny how, you know, clear, precise play. Yeah, it, it just sounds, it, it, as, as good as it is, you do kind of wonder with a lot of these teams what was really going on beforehand. But anyway, at the time, Germany had just won or were about to win, sorry, the World Cup in 2014. And Belgium were in the middle of their golden generation, which is coming towards the end yeah. now. Now, for the next bit, Ryan, I want you to cast your mind back to the under-21 final in 2009, where England Ooh. lost 4-0 to Germany. Yep. That German side actually had playing that day Manuel Neuer, Mesut Ozil, Sami Khedira, Mats Hummels, wow. Jerome Boateng, and Benedict Huedas. All of them made over 40 caps for their country, and all of them were moved to the seniors pretty much after that win. And you can then see straight away the point about Germany having a clear, precise plan because those players, you had you had the game plan. You saw what they were set out to do, you know, how they're going to develop, how they're going to be nurtured. And you could see that progression plan onto the seniors. Ozil in particular shone at the 2010 World Cup. And I believe on the back of that, he moved to Madrid. So you can see what the Germans are trying to do there. Whereas, for example, England, we had James Milner with, was it 46 or 43 <laughs> under 21 caps? That's just, yeah. come on, man. You can't, 40, like, obviously, you know, if he was like a wonder kid at 12 or 15 or 16, let's say, you could kind of see why he would have 30. A player of James Milner's quality cannot have 43 under 21 caps. That's just poor planning in my that opinion. That is relative, isn't it? So if they're that good, they would be in the senior team. Do exactly. you know what I mean? So it's, it shouldn't be an A and a, a and a B, a and a B team. It should be, you know, you've got this this first team. And then you've got this youth team underneath that should be pushing that first team for their places. Not you've got this set two separate squads that are just set in, in motion. So, Eches, moving on, how successful has England DNA been to date? It's a good question, isn't it? I think with plans like this, it takes time to develop. I think the initiative at the beginning was to win the 2022 World Cup. Um, which you know what, it's kind of yeah, it's possible. I think England England could. Um, I think it has been successful to a degree. If you look at some of the players that are coming through England's ranks now, the talent is frightening. You know, I mentioned the 2009 Euro final. Um, you know, obviously it didn't go that well for England, but, you know, the team we had was Scott Loach and goal. <laughs> a back four of Martin Craney, Nedim Manuha, Mika Richards and Kieran Gibbs. In midfield, we had our podcast legends, uh, yeah. founder, 
um, inspiration and Captain <laughs> Lee Barry Catamore. Founder. Uh, <laughs> Mark Noble and Fabrice Mwamba with a front three of Walker, Adam Johnson and Milner. If you compare that team to all the talent of that team to the Germans team, you know, I think it's a bit of a mismatch, especially defensively. However, you know, hindsight is a really, really, really powerful tool. Definitely. Because, yeah. you know, if you look at it back then, Theo Walcott was seen as the guy. And as much as we criticise Walcott, he, he has about 40 England caps, maybe just shy of 50. James Milner as well, an established footballer. The midfield is lacking a fair bit and the defence as well. But people like Mika Richards was unfortunate with injuries and we're seeing it as the next big thing. Mm-hmm. Kieran Gibbs was supposed to be the Ashley Cole heir. So a lot of these players at the time, you know, were seen as you know, very, very good or the potential to be outstanding, but didn't really live up to it. But I think that there lies the skill and coaching. The Germans managed to produce, you know, some fantastic talents that have had fantastic careers, whereas, you know, the bulk of the England batch um, didn't really live up to the hype. There is an element of fortune, obviously, in the golden generation. As much as a DNA and, you know, a, a brilliant setup at youth level is going to obviously harness any sort of talent. And the more you harness that, the more likely you're going to have a golden generation that performs at senior level. You have also got that kind of element of perhaps fortune to an extent that Germany may have just went through a, a, a kind of purple patch in terms of the youth that were coming through. But then obviously the way in which they didn't rush them players to the first team, perhaps. Um, and it is how good an under 21 side is. And in, in a sense, the system you put in in terms of progression is dependent on the quality of the first team as well. So if you've got a really, really bad first team, you can't just keep this absolute swave of talent just in the 20 under 21s can you the under 21s no. can't be better than the first team no. but it is relative to that and so if you've got a good it's almost like if you've got a really strong first team then you can afford to progress this through the youth and then bring them in um but then obviously where you had with england where we thought our first team was so elite we had the likes of gerard lampard cole rooney owen they were just mainstays there was no competition there um and we believed them to be all elite players there was no progression and so we had no youth coming through. No, I, I completely agree with you. Um, I guess it's all about, yeah, you know, nurturing those talents properly and, and making sure they have the, the right ground to grow and actually fulfill mm. their potential. But if you look at the current prospects we have coming through now, so we look at Mason Greenwood, he's so good, they don't know what foot he is. Jude Bellingham, <laughs> a player I've watched very little of, but obviously if yeah. you're 17 and you're in the England first team, you must be very talented. Trent Alexander-Arnold, uh, who you've seen, you know, can play central midfield, can play right back, he's basically a cam wherever he plays and is so technically gifted. But Kaya yeah. Saka, who's the greatest player on earth, um, yeah, is yeah. also a very talented player. Phil Foden, who had a fantastic game against Iceland the other night. Jado Sancho, who's tearing up trees in the Bundesliga. <laughs> All those players I just mentioned there are 21 or under. And, you know, if you throw in Dean Henderson as well in goal, there are some gifted, gifted players, you know. And I can, if you compare that to the batch in the past, I guess the same hype is there with some of them. And football has moved on significantly since then. But it feels as though now, if you look at those boys we've just mentioned, I think a significant change is the amount of game time they're getting for their senior teams. Yeah, you know, Trent is a mainstay in his side. Bellingham is getting lots of minutes at Dortmund. Greenwood at United. Uh, Bukayo Saka at Arsenal. Phil Foden at City. And Jane Sancho is a regular, if not one of the first names in the team at Dortmund. Dean Henderson, I know he struggled at United, but has come off, what, two seasons on loan at Sheffield United, who were a championship club and obviously yeah. a Premier League team. I can't remember specifically the team back then, but I imagine a lot of these boys, I know Walker in particular in 2009, was playing for Arsenal, but I wouldn't say he was as important as Bukayo Saka now or as influential. And I think that these players now really could be the real deal. Yeah. 
In terms of honours, aside from the 2017, when I mentioned where at the start, where the under-17s won the World Cup, we also won the under-20 World Cup in the same year um, with DCL, Dominic Calvert-Lewin and AMN, uh, Ainsley made and Nas playing in that <laughs> side. Um, I don't know why I, don't know why I shortened it because I just thought, like, who, who, like, who am I talking about? Um, the under-20s under is an awkward age group because, you know, you're 19 and sometimes at 19, you kind of drift past the age group into the under-21s or straight to the seniors. So unfortunately, not too many from that group have progressed onto the full national team, but it's progress nonetheless. Yeah, there's kind of this, I think more and more so now in the modern game, um, you know, it's almost like when you're 20 now or 21, you're expected to be kind of almost have matured more so than the past. So it's seen as less of a, or not as a, not as young as they were before kind of thing. So that I think at 19, 20, you're expected to then be making that step up to, to senior football, to first team football, perhaps more so than they were expected to in the past. But if you think back back to your point of um, some of these players that were not playing or having minutes in the Premier League, I think the likes of like Jack Rockwell and Scott Sinclair, for example, two players that were signed by City because they were youth starlets, England starlets, and they didn't play. <laughs> they didn't play for City at all. And no. they both kind of fell off the um, the bandwagon. Jack Rockwell ended up at Sunderland. You know, like you, like you touched on, we're actually seeing top English, English youth not only playing in the Premier League, playing consistently, and a lot of them are playing at top clubs. What I can say about the, the current crop we're mentioning now is some of those young players are key to their teams, not just that they're playing, because you could say, okay, Walker's playing at Arsenal, what's the difference? Some of these young players now are key to their side. So when I think of Trent, yeah. key to Liverpool, Bakayo Saka arguably is Arsenal's most efficient wing at the moment. I think, I think personally he's key to our team. Phil Foden, maybe not so much, but he is also very, very talented. Jenny Sancho is key. That's not yeah. just a player who is, oh, yeah, he's very good. He is key to Borussia Dortmund. So I think that's the difference of what we're seeing is we've seen these young players come in, play at top clubs, get the opportunity, but also really nail down that spot. Whereas I think we're, we're basically looking for rose-tinted glasses with the batch of 2009 and saying, oh, they're very talented. They have so much potential, but, you know, they weren't necessarily having as many opportunities and they weren't really fulfilling it. But you always think, ah, oh, they've got age on their side, da, 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 da. they'll get there, they'll get there. And ultimately, for the majority yeah. of them, they didn't. It is it's still a challenge for England because I think in nations like France, and we've seen this before and we've touched on it before in terms of the Eredivisie in Holland and, and the Belgian League where you've got players come through at like 17, 18, making consistent caps. I mean, you had the delete at Ajax. If you look at Kamavinga, I think his name is, at Rons, yep. in, um, in Liga Earn, I think he made like 40 appearances last season at 17. I mean, Jude Bellingham has gone on to, to match that to an extent if he um, does play, continue to play at Dortmund and he made about 30, 40 appearances for Bone last season in the Championship, which is still a good standard of football. But mm. I think it still is a challenge for Premier League clubs because where the wealth is so much higher and there's so much competition in there, the short-term aspects are still really prominent um and so i think more so still than other nations as well so i think it's still a challenge but hopefully we're starting to see the barriers broken down with that um so we've run out of time etches but very very quickly i'll give you 15 seconds to answer this can england it's yes or no can england win the euros next year they will win the euros next year they will they will, they, they will. oh well, it's breaking news you, you, you heard it first you heard it first sky sports at me <laughs> All right, well, on that note, on that breaking news here, uh, the podcast uh, that we we already have won the Euros, it's time to wrap up. So, HS, thank you very much for, for the research this week. That was a uh, very excellent insight. Um, I think there's some interesting discussion there. And yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, uh, thanks for tuning in, guys. We'll, we'll, we'll see you next time. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers.